This program provides education, not advice. Sponsors pay a fee for endorsements and interviews. See the truthayf.com disclosure page for details. This is where technology, innovation, and personal finance come together. This is the truth about your future with Rick Edelman. It's Friday, March 1st, and on today's show, Talking Knees, plus a conversation with Jervis Grigg, a former FBI agent who's now deep into crypto. First, I want to talk to you about my trainer. Gene and I work out several times a week with a guy who is, um, well, he's rather brutal, but he's not just brutal on us. He's brutal on himself. He's had a knee replaced. He's had heart surgery. And most recently, he just had his ankle replaced. Seems like they can replace anything these days. Well, this is just the beginning. Now, there are artificial knees that have built-in sensors that wirelessly transmit data, telling your orthopedic surgeon how the replacement knee is doing. Your doctor can see if you're hitting recovery milestones or if you need a new type of physical therapy. Soon, we're going to see these sensors in replacement hips, shoulders, spines, in hearing aids, and in eyeglasses to see if you need any adjustments. Eventually, they say, we're going to see brain implants that warn that an aneurysm is about to burst. And speaking of your brain, technologists are now designing headphones that can detect whether you're distracted and beam electrical beams into your brain to give you new cerebral energy. We've already seen tests where a monkey was able to control a cursor with its mind and paralyzed patients who had electrodes implanted in their brains were able to create texts on an iPhone just by thinking about them. This is all just the beginning of what we're going to see over the next decade and beyond. And it's not just brain implants that are going to be the thing. Those are invasive and they require surgery. And it means painful, expensive, and risky. For a lot of us, it's going to be something else, something better. I'm going to tell you what that is in 60 seconds. Support for Rick Edelman's podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETFs' risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, carefully read and consider fund investment objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in prospectus at Invesco.com. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Forget about brain implants. The tech tools that are going to help you move or talk or see or hear or remember, they're going to be wearables. You put on a headset or eyeglasses or earbuds. These devices can already detect drowsiness and fatigue in drivers and give them real-time AI-powered feedback to prevent car crashes. You're required to wear a seatbelt today. Tomorrow, you'll be required to wear one of these headbands. These wearables can detect changes in blood oxygen levels, measure the impact of music on the brain, and assess your skills. Combine all this with activity sensors, food diaries, sleep logs, eye trackers, and other data sources 
We're going to be able to monitor and improve our function like never before. These devices will diagnose mood disorders, enhance mindfulness, learn your musical preferences, and let you type without using your hands. You'll control all your devices, from the phone to the oven to the coffee maker, just by thinking about them. And all this is coming within the next 10 to 20 years. Some of it will be here by 2030. Some of it is already here, like earbuds that instantly translate dozens of languages in real time. You can speak nonstop, and translation is played in the other person's ear almost instantaneously. 40 people speaking 40 languages in a Zoom meeting. These things cost only 300 bucks. Soon you're going to be talking to someone else on the other side of the planet who doesn't speak English, while your artificial knee will be talking to your doctor. Just think about the investment opportunities here, and the opportunities for revised portfolio construction. Is your portfolio a portfolio of the 21st century, or is it still built with 20th century investments? If you're a financial advisor, I want you to know that Wealth Management Convergence, which I've created, is coming to West Palm Beach March 10 to 12. It's exclusively for financial advisors. You'll get the investment strategies you need today with no breakout sessions, no PowerPoints, and only financial advisors and REA firms allowed to register. You'll learn from some of the most successful people in this business with conversations on generative AI, exponential technologies, longevity, estate planning, crypto, a whole lot more free one-on-one meetings, and dine-arounds with plenty of CE credits. West Palm Beach, March 10 to 12. I've got a promo code for you, too, exclusively for advisors listening to this podcast. Use the link in the show notes to register. Discount code WMC2024. You'll save $100, and I'll see you there. Coming up next on the program, a conversation with Jervis Grigg. He's the public sector CTO of Chainalysis and a 23-year career with the FBI. We're going to talk about crypto and illicit activity. How extensive is it? When we return, stay with us. The Truth About Your Future with Rick Edelman is brought to you by Schwab. With Schwab Investing Themes, it's easy to invest in ideas you believe in, like online music and videos, artificial intelligence, electric vehicles, and more. Schwab's research process uncovers emerging trends, then their technology curates relevant stocks into themes. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy all the stocks in a theme as is, or customize to better fit your investing goals, all in a few clicks. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. How should you think about Bitcoin? Turn to a specialist. For six years, Bitwise has been helping investors access crypto. Bitwise manages the world's largest crypto index fund. They also offer six crypto ETFs. You get cutting-edge insights, expert Bitcoin research, and a nationwide team to help. Bitwise helps investors and advisors navigate crypto with confidence. Partner with a specialist. Look for ETFs backed by Bitwise. Bitwiseinvestments.com. Carefully consider the extreme risks associated with crypto before investing. You're listening to The Truth About Your Future. I'm really happy to be bringing onto the program Jervis Grigg. He is... Well, I'm going to tell you who he was. He was with the FBI for 23 years. Now he is the global public sector CTO, chief technology officer for Chainalysis, which is one of the most important companies in the crypto space. Jervis, welcome to the program. Great to have you with us. Thank you, Rick. It's great to be here. 
Jervis began as a special agent back in 1997. He rose to be a senior executive at the FBI, where he worked with partners around the world to track terrorists, spies, and criminals, as well as their finances. He retired in 2021, and he's now the CTO for the Global Public Sector at Chainalysis, as I mentioned, where he works with governments worldwide to help them fight the illicit use of digital assets. And it's worth noting, I love this factoid, that before he joined the FBI, Jervis was a stockbroker. So you know a little bit about Wall Street as well. It's great to have you with us here today. And I'm really excited about this because without a doubt, the most common misconception I hear, I'm going to call it a misconception. I want you to tell me if I'm right or wrong about my allegation. This common misconception that the only thing crypto is good for is illicit activity. True or false? Yeah, that's false. But it is a common myth or misperception about crypto in the industry. I think some of that was colored by the early days of startup, especially as people were really unfamiliar with the concept of what are digital assets and how they're traded. The data shows that the vast majority of crypto utilization globally is for lawful and legitimate purposes. But as I like to say, you can't have trillions of dollars move into a new asset class and not attract criminals and grifters because they follow the money. Yeah, I guess that's the only thing is that it's the punishment of success, right? That you make yourself a target to a degree and they're going to, like you said, follow the money. And I want to follow your career. I mean, I get that you wanted to retire from the FBI after 23 years of a distinguished service. And thank you for your career and all you did to protect us here in the U.S. But what made you choose Chainalysis as your next gig? And tell us, for folks who are unfamiliar, explain who Chainalysis is. Yeah, Chainalysis is the leading blockchain analytic firm. That means we map the blockchain to identify illicit activity to support governments, and particularly law enforcement, who are tracing bad guy money. But we also provide compliance services for banks in the crypto industry who are moving into the digital assets so they can do counterparty analysis and identify those potential uh, risks and services. But to answer your question, why did I go to Chainalysis? Well, I knew when I wanted to retire from the FBI that I love technology and I love where technology intersects operations to support public sector efforts. So I was looking at what are the leading technologies out there that are really impacting and are going to change the face of 21st century and, you know, artificial intelligence, blockchain analytics, robotics and the like. And for me, because I had such a background in finance and I love the follow the money uh, both to protect the financial industry as well as advocate for victims uh, of abuse and fraud, that working blockchain really became that intersection for me. So to work for the leading blockchain analytic firm, to be their CTO and to help work with law enforcement globally to protect victims was just perfect trio. So you've mentioned that in agreement with me that it's a myth that this accusation that the only thing crypto is good for is illicit activity. That's a myth. It's a very common myth. And you're right. I guess it goes back to the early days of the crypto community 10, 15 years ago when there were a bunch of crooks out there. A lot of people still quote Silk Road to me, even though the FBI shut that down when? 2013, I think? Yeah, quite a long time ago. Although the Bureau still continues to stumble across some of those stolen funds today and seize them as they come back on the grid or bad guys attempt to move them. So why do you suppose so many people persist in claiming that the only thing crypto is good for is illicit activity? Well, I think it really stems from, like most things, a lack of awareness. 
you know, as you begin to take a look at what digital assets offer and how they're used, what they really are, and the benefits they can have on commerce, assisting the unbanked and, and democratizing access to, to money, um, I, I think some of those begin to melt away. I'll tell you another myth that persists similar to that it's only used for illicit purposes is the myth that crypto is not traceable and that once a person goes on to the blockchain and conducts a transaction, no one will be able to follow that. And, and that's, of course, simply not true as well. The blockchain was designed to be transparent. And that's really the cool thing about crypto is that digital money, that's what crypto essentially is, digital money leaves a digital footprint. You might not know who the person is, but you can follow the flow of money as it moves from one wallet, one digital wallet to another digital wallet. Like you said, the whole point of blockchain is that it is transparent. We can trace every transaction that has ever been done and we know exactly where the money is. Yeah, that's true. And while your privacy, your personal privacy and your personal data is protected, the transactions on the blockchain are public because it's a public ledger. Now, you mentioned a moment ago that the vast majority of transactions are used for legitimate, lawful purposes. Can you give us percentages of this? I mean, if you take a look at all of the crypto transactions done in a given year, like let's take a look at 2023, if you've got that data, what percentage of those transactions are for illicit activities? Sure. Our analysis consistently shows that it's less than 1%. Last year, we saw a little over $20.6 billion associated with known or suspected illicit activity. Now, when you think of the trillions of dollars that exchange hands on the blockchain, it really is a small percentage. And certainly, there's bound to be more somewhere north of that uh, number, $20.6 billion. But um, it is relatively a very small amount. In fact, I like to say if I was still an FBI agent working cases, I would rather have the subject of my case use crypto than any other value transfer system. More than cash? Sure. Why? Because of that public ledger transparency of records. So even if I don't know who the target of my case is today, those records are still going to be here seven years from now, 10 years from now, which is why you'll see some of these cases be made uh, regarding thefts that happened a number of years ago. And law enforcement agencies are finally able to make attribution of who the parties were involved in that. And then they can follow the money. And that's why over the last, oh, almost two and a half, three years, authorities just in the United States alone have recovered over $11 billion in crypto assets. So if you were king for a day and you had the opportunity to order a choice, you would rather have the economy functioning in digital money than paper money from a law enforcement perspective? I don't know that I would say that. I mean, I think diversification is a really important and healthy principle. I mean, you and I both, you know, as, as financial advisors and individuals, at least I was in the day, you know, I think there's some value in diversification of choice for consumers. What I am saying, though, is that digital assets offer a level of transparency and security unequaled by traditional value transfer systems such as cash. So put it into context for us. If the use of crypto in illicit activity is less than 1% of the total, how does that compare to cash? Yeah, I I don't know of any other value transfer system that uh, can boast of similar numbers. 
right? Um, especially in illicit activity used by transnational organized criminals, narcotics distributors and the like, where cash remains king. It, just nothing is can similarly compare. I mean, if I were to pull out a $100 bill out of my wallet and conduct an illicit transaction, and that person walk into a bank and make a deposit, there's virtually no way for the depositor uh, institution to know where that $100 came from, except for what the depositor may say or declare. The same is not true with crypto. If an individual is selling child exploitation material or narcotics on the dark web, receives crypto, and then eventually attempts to off-ramp that at a cryptocurrency exchange with blockchain analytics, those receiving institutions can screen for potential illicit activity. But we keep hearing stories of ransomware, computer hackers breaking into computer systems at companies, government agencies, hospital systems, et cetera, and they shut down the computer systems and they demand ransom. They say, we won't turn your systems back on or give you control until you pay us a bribe, a ransom, and they demand that the ransom be paid in Bitcoin. So is that true? Are they frequently choosing Bitcoin as their preferred method of payment? And if so, why, if it's so easy for the FBI to trace the money? Well, there's several factors. Number one, liquidity and speed are always the friends of a criminal, as well as a legitimate user, right? A business he wants liquidity, speed, and security. Those are the very same reasons why criminals are turning to crypto as well. Uh, now, there is still a myth in the minds of some of them, as well as the legitimate public, about the anonymity of a blockchain transaction. Um, but, you know, bank guys still rob banks, and they know full well that die packs may be put into the bag of the money. They know full well that there are cameras and other preventative and security measures, yet they still do it. Why? Because they want money. Uh, and so individuals, ransomware does utilize crypto. And they use it because it is a high-speed, low-cost way to transfer value globally in a fraction of a second. However, what they hope is that they will move it quick enough or obfuscate the trail sufficient to throw off the law enforcement who are attempting to trace those funds. And this year is no different. We're on course to probably get close to $900 million dollars in reported ransomware schemes where individuals have attempted to ransom almost $900 million from victims this year, a portion of which have been recovered and traced. Give us some examples. Sure. Well, I think one that you might remember, if you lived on the East Coast and tried to put gas in your car in 2021, you might remember the ransomware attack against the Colonial Pipeline, in which disrupted fuel services across the East Coast, and they ransomed money from Colonial Pipeline. However, uh, the FBI was able to respond and recover uh, those ransomware funds or a good portion of them. Uh, so that's an example. And there are many, many others as banks, institutions, and others are embracing and utilizing blockchain analytics, they're better able to one, defend against these and then trace those illicit funds and actors. There were stories in the media that Hamas had been collecting funding via Bitcoin and earlier in 2023 asked its supporters to stop doing that because Israel and other governments had been able to shut down those wallets. Can you talk about that? Sure. Yeah, that's another one of those persistent myths that, you know, that large amounts of money are being raised via crypto and digital assets for terrorist organizations. It is certainly true that some have, 
and they do, but not at the scale that you've seen in some of the public reports. It is true, however, as you said, Hamas begged their supporters to stop sending them money via crypto because it is traceable by law enforcement. And, and authorities working counterterrorism were then beginning to map out the terrorist supporter network as well as the terrorist accounts and execute seizures against those. And, and that just bespeaks the transparency of the public ledger blockchain. Crypto is a very poor form of raising money if you're a terrorist organization or a criminal attempting to move those funds. So talk about the activities on Capitol Hill. Crypto is a controversial topic among lawmakers. Some are very, very strong proponents and working hard to promote the use of digital assets into the economy, seeking regulatory and legislative clarity regarding all those rules. Other members of Congress, however, are strong opponents of the idea and have an attitude that it really isn't of any particular benefit to the economy or to individuals. What would you want to say to members of Congress about crypto? Sure. Well, the United States has a rich history of um, debate when it comes to introducing new technologies and capabilities. So it's not surprising that a technology as complex and new that this is, is going to generate ideas and opinions across the spectrum. What I would say is that let's look at what the successful things we've done to bring stability and security to other financial value transfer systems and look at how do we bring the crypto industry into closer parity with those so that we provide investor protection um, and promote those things that are safe and secure, and as well as promote a place where innovation can happen. You know, this technology is powerful and it has the potential to democratize access to finance like no other in recent memory. But we need to make sure that we promote an environment that helps with innovation because we can't afford for this technology to leave our shores and be controlled by authoritative regimes who have objectives different from our own. We need to lead the world in this technology innovation in a safe and, and secure way. So give me your predictions for 2024 in terms of criminal activity involving crypto. What I think you will see, and we anticipate, is that transnational organized criminal groups will continue embracing and adopting crypto as a way to transfer value. Why? Because it's a high-speed, low-cost way to move money globally uh, in a fraction of the time traditionally and, as they believe, avoid traditional tripwires and detections. So I think you're going to see uh, increased adoption by criminal organizations, nation states, and those attempting to conduct illicit activity. I think you're also going to see the growing sophistication of what we call obfuscation techniques, meaning use of privacy coins, mixers, and other types of capabilities, uh, bridges to obfuscate this trail because they are coming to know that crypto is traceable. So they're engaging some of these obfuscation techniques to try to muddy the water, if you will, and slow down the law enforcement tracing. And does this mean you think there's going to be an increase in the activity as a percentage of the total crypto transactions? You said it's less than 1% this past year. Is it going to be more than that? in 2024? Well, it's hard to say. I will tell you, I, I think as the crypto industry grows volumetrically, the overall amount of fraud will correspondingly grow volumetrically. Whether the percentage will remain the same 
and somewhat consistent or whether it will go up or down will all depend on whether those agencies are doing their due diligence to protect their consumers, engaging in blockchain analytics, doing counterparty analysis before the transaction happens, right? And, and looking for smarter, more secure ways to protect those DeFi protocols and those bridging networks. And it's usually those things that lead to the problems. I mean, we saw over $3 billion, what was it, $3.8 billion lost last year in hacks alone. And North Korea did $1.7 billion of that. So the little tiny country, North Korea, punching way above its weight in hacks and thefts. Why? Because they have a dedicated cyber team who are doing that. And they realize that's a great way to raise money for their regime. Well, criminal organizations are realizing that as well than devoting resources to scams and frauds by bringing human trafficking victims in and making them run uh, call centers to scam individuals. And so the other prediction I didn't mention for the next year is I think we're going to see an increase in investment scams and pig butchering, uh, particularly to those who are investment vulnerable. People are feeling the pressure of the down economy over the last several years. And so they're looking to how do I make up those gains in my portfolio? which can make them sometimes vulnerable for investment inducements. So we need to be very careful in that regard. And how would you say that law enforcement is doing, not just here in the U.S., but globally? What grade would you give law enforcement in their efforts to combat this activity? Well, in my role, because I travel around the world meeting with law enforcement at every level in countries on you know just about every continent, I can tell you that we are seeing a growing level of crypto literacy among those agencies. Um, you know, that was not the case two, three years ago. I still think there's a long way to go in that regard because many of them uh, whose budgets are, are constricted, um, as well as they're making that transition to increase the cyber literacy. So I think, I think we still have a ways to go. There are some agencies that are really noting stellar performance, both here in the U.S. and a few places in Europe and Asia, where we see really sophisticated embracing of blockchain analytics and crypto tracing. And uh, you need only pull up the news and, and query, you can see case after case. So that's kind of what I'd say about that growing crypto literacy. When we talk five years from now, we'll look back on today and say, remember when this was still uh, nascent? I think that's what we'll find. So what is the takeaway message for folks that are listening to this conversation? Should we be scared as a result of this and stay away from crypto? Or should we recognize with a shrug of shoulders that's part of the cost of doing business and you just got to protect yourself? Do you invest or not invest in the light of everything you've described? Right. Well, you and I both in our careers have advocated diversification lowers risk. Uh, this is certainly an area that offers a lot of interest and promise. I would not approach it with fear. I would approach it with education and awareness. That helps to become educated. So I would say, educate yourself about this technology and, and find out what part of it, if any, makes sense for you. You know, if you look back, go back 20 years ago when the World Wide Web was really beginning to come on and, and in the late 1990s inclusive, people were scared to go on a website and put in their credit card, right? Right, yeah. We didn't have SSL protections like we do ubiquitously now. Uh, where that data is encrypted from the moment you input it into your computer till the time it arrives at that website. And when you look at credit card scams or thefts of these, they always happen after it's arrived at the holding company because they didn't protect their servers in some way. Not that your transaction got intercepted in the, in the transmission, if you will, because of SSL 
you know, secure transmission. So I think this industry is growing and we're going to see just not only are we seeing advancements in adoption, but we're going to see advancements in the ability to protect consumers. And I think that will grow consumer confidence. And you're going to continue to see global adoption of crypto. Each year we publish a report which tracks that. So I would encourage investors and those thinking about moving into this space to become informed. Be careful where they get their information from because there are misinformation out there as well as individuals who will tempt you to make unreasonable gains. And that's how people get into trouble. And for our members of Congress who are busy debating the issue of new legislation and regulation regarding crypto, would your message be shut it down, ban it, make it go away, ignore it all? Or would you say there's no stopping it? It's here to stay. We need to embrace it. We need to regulate it, control it, protect people in dealing with it. Which of those two camps do you think is the more appropriate approach? I think the latter. Again, it gets back to we, as the United States and and other freedom and democracy-loving nations, should embrace this technology and lead the world in its implementation and imbue to it our values of consumer protection, privacy, and safety and security of transactions. We cannot allow this technology to be framed by authoritative regimes who don't share our values and who will use this kind of technology for uh, ill good. Nor can we cede the ground to illegal actors who will use this for illicit purposes. So I think my message would be that let's look for innovative ways to bring this technology to the American people and and others who have like-minded so that we can grow the technology and embrace it for the goodness that it brings. That's Jervis Gregg. He's the global public sector CTO for Chainalysis following a 23-year career with the FBI. If you would like to learn more about the work that Chainalysis is doing, you can visit them at Chainalysis.com. We've got the link to their website in the show notes today. Jervis, thanks so much for joining us on the program. Thank you, Rick. It was great to be here. On Monday's podcast, the impact of AI on jobs. Support for Rick Edelman's podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Meet Carmen, an everyday person who likes working in the garden, hosting dinner parties with friends, and listening to live music. She also participates in progress by investing in a fund that supports innovative ideas. Invesco QQQ ETF allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100, so you don't have to be an engineer to help push progress forward. Anyone can become an agent of innovation. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETFs' risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, carefully read and consider fund investment objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in prospectus at Invesco.com. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Demystifying digital assets, putting crypto in context, and getting you ready for what's next. This is the truth about your future with Rick Edelman. 